everybody. Uh, good morning, uh, and thank you for joining our presentation today, our global update webinar with Consul General of Mexico, uh, Diaz. And we are welcome, and good morning, Consul General. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I good want morning, to. Uh, yep, thank you. Um, John Scanapieco, for those who don't know me, I'm the chair of Baker Donaldson's global business team. And I also serve on the Chamber's International Business Council Advisory Board. Um, I just want to have a few reminders before we get started today. We are using a uh, WebEx events platform, so everyone is in uh, listen-only mode, and only the cameras of the panelists will be shown. Um, we will definitely have time for questions following the Consul General's remarks and then a little moderated discussion between the Consul General and me. So please type your uh, questions in at any time during the presentation. Um, and the way to do that is move your cursor, you know, kind of into the video screen that you have, and you'll see a, a circle with three little dots in it. Uh, click on that uh, button, and then you will see at the top a blue Q&A. Click on that, and then a panel should open up to the right where you can then type your question, and then we'll be reading those questions. I may even do it during the course of our conversation or at, at the end. Um, so today's event is a joint effort of Baker Donaldson and the Nashville Chambers International Business Council, the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and then the Center for International Business at Belmont uh, University. Please check out the websites for the Chamber and the World Affairs Council and Baker Donaldson uh, one upside of the COVID-19 pandemic, if, if we can even call it an upside, is that there has been a lot of high-quality virtual programming that has been created by these organizations that you can find um, on their website. And, you know, it's been everything from uh, global updates like today's program, uh, technical programming around immigration and visa law, um, to just other general issues of importance today. Um, even including the CARES Act um, and how you can benefit from that if you're a business. Um, also, coming up, the Tennessee World Affairs Council is launching a, a new series um, on uh, key issues that will be impacting the uh, upcoming presidential election, as well as some of the important issues that each candidate is discussing. So I, I urge you to go to the Tennessee World Affairs Council website and take a look at their programs. I think you'll find it to be very interesting and very informative in this very critical uh, election that we have upcoming. So COVID-19 has had uh, an undeniable impact on many of the businesses in the region and also a huge impact on the nonprofit community. So now more than ever, nonprofits like the Tennessee World Affairs Council, the Chamber, and other organizations really need your support to survive. So again, I encourage you to join each of these organizations and become a part of, of the organizations and what they're trying to do in building an international understanding and connections in the Nashville region and the rest of the world. I mean, this is a, not a time really to, to draw so in that we forget that we're part of a much larger global marketplace and there's so many opportunities out there uh, for our business community to take advantage of. And these organizations can help you learn and understand how to take advantage of those opportunities. So speaking of supporting uh, international connections, I'd like to take a, an opportunity to thank and recognize the chamber sponsors that make uh, today's event possible. Uh, Baker Donaldson is the IBC's uh, presenting sponsor, 
and we, we appreciate the opportunity to partner with the Chamber on international activities and events. We recognize that this educational part is, 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 is just as important as actual business being done. Uh, then our pivotal partners, uh, Delic U.S. Holdings, Bassberry and Sims, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, Gresham Smith, uh, CHS Community Health Systems, and Regions Bank. And then our supporting sponsors, the Center for International Business at Belmont University, the Metropolitan Nashville Airport Authority, Mitsui and Company, Bank of America, and then our brand new uh, uh, supporting sponsor, United Healthcare Global. We'd like to welcome uh, United Healthcare Global representatives uh, to the uh, uh, to the group, and we look forward to working with them um, as we develop uh, new programming uh, in the future. And then, lastly, our media partner, the Nashville uh, Post. So I will now pass it on to Ralph Schultz, President and CEO of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce, to introduce our speaker, Consul General Diaz. Ralph? Thanks, John, and uh, thanks for your participation, as well as Baker Donaldson's and all, all of our partners. You know, this is a familiar group. Our sponsors and our partners are a familiar group to everybody involved in the international business community in Nashville because uh, for years, they have been the center of, uh, of influence in this category. And from an economic perspective in this, in this COVID time period, your, your leadership is really key. Um, just a quick update, I will tell you that Nashville continues to get inquiries from businesses outside of Nash from outside of Nashville uh, to be a location for their businesses, even during this this time frame, over 25 uh, inquiries since uh, just in the past month and month and a half, and we continue to see an in migration of workforce to Nashville uh, as well from other cities. So the economy in Nashville is going to come back, uh, but our international relationships are really key. And it's my pleasure to uh, introduce uh, our speaker today because our speaker features. Consul General of Mexico, Javier Diaz de Leon. Um, he is familiar to all of us, and we appreciate our partnership with him. And Consul General, thanks in advance for making the time to join us here this morning for an update on U.S.-Mexico business connections. Uh, Mexico's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and economic opportunities that exist between Nashville and Mexico are important topics for us. And we know it's a busy time for you and a busy time for U.S.-Mexico relations with the uh, advent of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, better known as the U.S.-MCA, which, which went into effect on July 1 or is going into effect on July 1. Uh, the U.S.-MCA modernized the NAFTA Agreement and strengthens our collaboration with two of the state's top trading partners, Canada, Canada and Mexico. Mexico is Tennessee's second largest trading partner. In 2019, Mexico, uh, Tennessee trade accounted for $14.4 billion and supported regional supply chains in automotive, machinery, and electronic sectors. Mexico is an essential market for many Tennessee companies and is a valuable partner. And the key person in building that, that partnership for Mexico uh, in this area is Consul General Javier Diaz de Leon. Uh, Consul General Diaz has been a member of the for Mexican Foreign Service since 1991 
and holds the rank of ambassador. Uh, one doesn't rise to that level without a resume full of impressive and interesting postings. And for the sake of time, I'll share only a few highlights. He served as the Deputy Consul General in San Diego and New York. He served as the head of the Office for Migration and Hispanic Affairs at the Embassy of Mexico in the U.S. and Consul General of Mexico in Raleigh. In 2016, he was appointed to the role of Consul General in Atlanta, and he oversees the states of Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. And in my opinion, Tennessee is that most significant uh, part of his territory. And with that, I will turn it over to Consul General Diaz. Consul General, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Ralph and uh, John. Uh, first of all, uh, I am uh, very, very happy to – I'm not happy that I'm not able to be in Nashville today. I wish I was in Nashville. I was just telling you that it's a very rainy and miserable day in Atlanta, and uh, it's, of course, sunny in Nashville. Not surprised. Uh, but thank you again to, you know, uh, uh, the Nashville area of Chamber of Commerce, Bacon Donaldson, the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and of course, uh, the Center for International Business of Belmont University for, uh, you know, inviting me to be part of this. Uh, it's very important to have this sort of uh, conversation, if, even if they're in this new uh, world that we live in, uh, mostly, mostly, you know, virtual and through, through uh, uh, web connections. Uh, because it's very important to keep, you know, the key topics in our conversations, to keep the focus on what is important, and of course, some of the some of the things that we are doing together in the world, the, the, the key connections that are, are uh, there in the world that are keeping the, our economies alive in this context, and of course, and they will be the first step for recovery of all of our economies in the world once this pandemic starts to subside. subside. Um, and of course, you know, uh, you, you already great, made a great job about talking about what we do here at the consulate. And uh, we do have a, a, a large number of stakeholders and people that we work with in, uh, of course, here in Georgia, but also, of course, in Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, we serve a Mexican community in all three states that is calculated to somewhere around almost 900,000 people in all three states. And uh, in just Tennessee, we estimate that there's around 300,000 people of Mexican origin who live in Tennessee. They are very important to us. They are very important to Mexico. And they are very important to Tennessee. So, so our relationship with people like you, with uh, uh, partners, with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, key key strategic uh, relations that we have in Nashville and all over Tennessee, are crucial to us. Um, and how you know, and and that's of course part of of the bigger uh, of the bigger um, scheme of how big our how important our relationship is, which is something that I I talked a lot about. And, uh, and sometimes a lot of people are not really aware of. Uh, I would, I, I think it wouldn't be very bold to say that the relation, bilateral relationship between Mexico and the United States is one of the deepest, most, most sophisticated, and most important bilateral relationships between two countries any, anywhere in the world. And why do I say that? Well, first of all, of course, the economics. Uh, uh, the economics. We are Mexico in last year, in, in 2019, became the second largest because, sorry, the number one trading partner of the United States for the first time ever. Mexico in 2019 overcame Canada as the number one trading partner in terms of total trade of the United States. 
Our total trade in the 2019 reached a little bit over $614 billion. That's about uh, uh, 15% of all the U.S. trade worldwide. 15% of all the trade the United States does all over the world is with Mexico. And uh, 28 states of this great country of the United States, 28, have Mexico as, as either number one or number two in terms of its main exporting markets. Tennessee is one, is one of them. For, for Tennessee, we are number two. And, uh, and, uh, and the livelihoods of around 5 million Americans in terms of jobs depends on trading with Mexico. Uh, that's about 102,000 people in Tennessee. So this, this is an enormous economic relationship, which is very, very diverse, which is very, very sophisticated. Uh, I, John and, and Ralph and other our good friends here on, here on this panel have heard me probably say this before because I say it all the time, is that, uh, yes, uh, you know, we, we buy a lot of your agricultural products. We buy your whiskey, and I'm sure you buy our avocados and our tequila. Uh, and that is true, and that's a big part of what we do, yeah, but that is not really the story. Uh, our relationship, our economic trade relationship is basically a strategic supply chain relationship. What we are about is manufacturing, and, uh, and, and we have developed something very sophisticated, something very strong that makes us as a region, and I will include my Canadian friends in this, uh, the most competitive, what we can say, and we strongly say, is the most competitive manufacturing region in the world. Uh, so that's one thing I saw in terms of our relationship, economics. I, I will be brief on the other part, but it's not, it's not, it's not something minor. The second part is people, um, and that is not a minor thing. Uh, one of every 10 Mexicans live in the United States, and that's, that's something that is, of course, you know, tremendous, and that's something that for us uh, represents an enormous and enormous uh, connection uh, history with the United States. But to put it into perspective also, one of every 10 people in the United States are either the child of a Mexican or have Mexican origin. Uh, so that's one of every 10 people have, have Mexican origin in the United States. That's over 30 million people in the United States. Uh, so what we share is more than a border and of course buying each other products and manufacturing together, yes. We share families. There's millions of, of families in the United States and in Mexico, by the way, who have U.S. and Mexican citizens living in the same household. By the way, there's over one million U.S. citizens who live in Mexico. Uh, so our relationship is so deep. And the third element, of course, is cultural, historical, uh, uh, our deep um, historical and geographic connection. We share an environment in the North American region. We share history. We share cultural connections. And, uh, and those things are, are, are not, uh, uh, you know, anywhere to go away. So it's a very deep and sophisticated relationship. And it can be said, taking all of this into account, that uh, two countries in the world that, sh that share that much of an economic relationship with each other, and that, that many people that share, you know, common ancestry in both countries, that they share together, it could be argued that taking care of this relationship is not, it's so crucial because there's no bilateral relationship in the world that affects as many lives on both sides of the border as, as the United States and Mexico. And that would include, of course, a lot of people and the case of Tennessee, people in Tennessee and our economic relationship. 
And of course, we will talk about, uh, coming back to the economics, which I know this is probably the main focus of this, uh, 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 and Ralph already mentioned this, we just passed uh, the USMCA, and the USMCA, of course, is very important. Uh, to, from our perspective, it's a building block from NAFTA, of course, that has been in place since the 90s. Um, and, 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 you know, um, USMCA and the accomplishment of USMCA by our three countries that came into force last July uh, fulfills three main objectives uh, in, in very general terms. I'm not going to go into the, the details at this point. Uh, first of all, of course, to support our competitiveness. Like I said before, we are the most competitive manufacturing region in the world. We don't have a shared flag like Europeans do. We don't have a shared currency like the European Union, but we are very much a manufacturing region and we behave as a region manufacturing and competing with other regions in the world. And we are the most competitive vis-a-vis -vis Europe, which is going through their issues, as all of you know, and of course, Asia. Second of all, uh, uh, USMCA provides a, a perfect and a better uh, 21st century basis and, um, and benchmark to support trade and investment in the 21st century. And third of all, third, and the third very key element is that by, by achieving USMCA, by signing USMCA last July, we have achieved to restore certainty. And certainty for investors, for companies, for supply chains is not a minor thing in, the, in today's world, as all of you know. Uh, there's, a, there's uncertainty in many, in most other regions in the world. There's uncertainty in other parts of Latin America. There's uncertainty in terms of what's going on in Europe. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty in Asia. Uh, we in North America have certainty in terms of how we know we are going to be working together for the, for the foreseeable future. How we know that we are seeing each other as you know, manufacturing partners and partners in many other ways. And, uh, and that is something that a lot of other regions in the world wish they had. And we do have it in North America, thanks to, you know, by approving USMCA in that July. Uh, so, so there's a lot of going on in terms of all of that. Uh, again, you know, uh, we, we feel very strongly about this relationship. We need to take care of this relationship, not only on behalf, of course, in my case, on behalf of Mexico, but of course, I feel very strongly that Americans benefit str very strongly very much from having a such a close strategic and uh, and friendly relationship with its neighbors at the north and at the south we know each other better well among each other than many other as many other regions do in the world and we work together very well and we have proved it for more than you know more than 30 years and we are looking forward to doing this in the future so i'll, I'll that that would be you know my my kick my kickoff and probably um, uh, be ready for many more precise comments from, from John. Well, thank you, Council General. I, I, that was uh, some excellent uh, remarks, and, and, I, and I agree with you. Uh, the U.S.-Mexico uh, relationship is uh, really, really important. Uh, I'm a little biased. My father uh, worked on NAFTA uh, with President Clinton back in the day, so I heard all about NAFTA <laughs> growing up as a kid, and I, I think it has really been a benefit to all of our countries, Mexico, U.S., and, and Canada. And I would like to talk about that, but but it seems like today <clears throat> can't have a conversation with anyone around the world. Uh, the first thing we always ask each other is, well, how's it going in your country? You know, what has been the impact of COVID-19? Um, and so what has been the impact of COVID-19 on Mexico? Well, of course, uh, yeah. I mean, of course, Mexico has, uh, has, has, it's no secret that it's been one of the countries 
Well, every country in the world has been affected, and so we have certainly been affected by this in several ways. And uh, Mexico has uh, tremendous uh, um, issues related, of course, to, to, the, to the human loss that Mexico has suffered because of, of, the, of the pandemic. And Mexico has established a lot of registering and It's very hard effort, as, as all we all know, in the United States, also trying to find the best, the best solution and the best, best way to balance the very hard decisions that need to be taken in order to know to, to, to stop the spread of the disease, but at the same time not destroying the economy. Uh, Mexico has established a flag system, a color flag system, by the federal government all over the country to try to determine uh, which is the approach that is going to be taken in each state, depending on the local conditions, so what, the, what are the, the, the health uh, numbers and the, uh, the spread in each and every state of Mexico. So there's a flag system that is uh, instituted from the federal government, of course, in close consultation with state health governments, and, uh, and that gives a very basic guidance to all people in terms of where we are, where people are in each place of Mexico, and what are the guidelines of what is the, where, where are the activities that are regulated uh, more or not, depending on the color that you are in. So, for example, there are six states in the Mexico currently that are under what we call the red flag, which, of course, means, you know, the really places where we are high, more highly concerned. Places like Aguascalientes, Baja California Sur, the southern part of the peninsula of Baja California, Colima, Hidalgo, the state of Hidalgo, Nayarit, and Zacatecas. Those are the six states on the red flag. That means only essential activities are allowed in those states. There are 25 states in Mexico we are, which are under an orange flag, which includes also Mexico City and the state of Quintana Roo, which probably a lot of people uh, know it as a state where Cancun is. So that, that is uh, orange flag. That means essential activities and 30% of workers for non-essential activities. Uh, so, so that's a little bit of a higher threshold, but it's still new. And uh, there's only one state with a, what we call a yellow flag, which is the state of Campeche, which is a state in the Gulf, uh, in the south of the country of Mexico, the, in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, in that case, in yellow flag, it means all economic activities are allowed. Uh, but mostly, as you can see, most of the country is under very severe restrictions, and of course, the economy has been affected. Uh, Mexico is collaborating very strongly with several governments in the world in order to support and have access to eventual COVID-19 vaccines. That is, a, of course, the case with the United States, but in countries like Argentina, Russia, China, the United Kingdom are all countries that Mexico has established conversations about. On, on this on this issue on behalf of our of our nationals, and of course, and there is the the limitation on the on the tra non essential travel at the border, uh, which I think uh, needs a little a little clarification, but because there's a lot of I even get a lot of sometimes confused comments from Mexican nationals that approach the consulate who don't really understand what's going on at the border. What's going on is basically a bilateral consultation between our countries, which is not a unilateral decision. This is something that the U.S. And Mexico, and that happens, of course, also in the northern border of the United States with Canada. So it's a bilateral decision that is taken uh, between our governments uh, in order to limit non-essential travel at the border. But that doesn't mean that travel crossing the, the border is closed, which is something that sometimes uh, I, I hear a lot. 
so, so, so there's a lot of things going on, and uh, of course, uh, Mexico is keeping very close track on the numbers of positive cases, and of course, deaths. Uh, we've had, I think, a little bit over 60,000 deaths in Mexico. Mexico is a country is of uh, 120 million people. Uh, however, 60,000 deaths is something that is, you know, a terrible tragedy. Thousands of families have been affected directly because of this, but of course, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are also in many other ways. So that's pretty much the picture, John. Well, it, it, uh, it's uh, nice to hear the federal system working with the states and developing that coordinated plan. Um, I'm hoping that we do a little bit more of that here because I think that is a, a as, as you indicated, each state is going to have different circumstances that require a slightly different um, plan, and I think that would be a very uh, much a very beneficial here in the United States. I, I'm and curious if, if you I mentioned may say, with the, if I may oh, say something, yes, yes. John, because I assume yes. not, not everybody on the call knows this. Mexico is a federal country uh, uh, with state governments and, and central federal government, just like the United States. And of course, we are also a multi-party, multi-party democratic country, which means that many of the states at the government level, pretty much like the United States, are 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 governed by opposition parties, not not the president's right. party. Uh, so yes, this is something that is very important in terms of facing together this issue in a coordinating way and putting uh, politics aside. No, I think that's great. Um, you know, you mentioned with the border restrictions. I'm curious. What has been the impact um, of the border restrictions on uh, maybe the trade and investment between Mexico and the U.S.? Well, of course, uh, like I said, uh, the border restrictions are very specific and, uh, and very important because, of course, to put it into perspective, you know, the Mexico-U.S. border is one of the most sophisticated and intense borders in the world. Uh, the border, just the border crossing between uh, San Diego and Tijuana is the most uh, uh, intense crossing, international crossing, in terms of people crossing every day legally in the whole world. Uh, there is a, the estimation of how many people cross the U.S.-Mexico border legally every day before the pandemic. Nowadays, all of those things are a little bit, you know, up for grabs. But before the pandemic. Uh, the number of people who crossed our border every single day is around 1 million people legally in our border. So our border region is a, is a, you know, is a uh, cultural and economic and, 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 and social area in itself in many ways. Uh, so that level of cross-crossings cross, uh, crossings and cross-connection of people on both sides of the border that we had in the in the, in, in the U.S.-Mexico border before the pandemic was very hard to keep, you know, to keep after the pandemic in the new era of, of, of uh, regulations and you know, containment. Uh, so that's why our government decided to do this. And, uh, and yes, what, what is happening now is that uh, uh, recently our countries uh, agreed to, to extend the, the limit of non-essential travel between our countries up to September uh, 21. Uh, that means non-essential travel, but uh, uh, essential travel is still going on. Anything, anything related to health issues, to uh, uh, you know, uh, support for for people who need uh, medical attention, uh, all any everything that is concerned, of course, support of essential economic activities, which is a key thing related to our economic relationship. Uh, 
because anything that is considered, for example, agriculture, which is considered an essential activity, people are allowed to cross the border if it's connected to that. And of course, crossings related to our trade, the crossing of trade and the enormous amount of trade that goes through the border is still going on. Uh, so most of the impact, and there definitely has been an impact, and that was your question, John, uh, uh, has been mostly in terms of the local economies in the border. So the local economies in the cities in the border, in the United States, that depend so much on, on, uh, on people crossing the border and spending money on the other side of the border. And that happens in the U.S. and in Mexico, in both cities in the world. Cities like Juarez or Tijuana or cities like McAllen, Texas, cities like uh, uh, San Diego, cities like El Paso, Texas, have, have suffered and have received a tremendous blow because a lot of their livelihood depends of people crossing the border and spending money in their communities. Uh, so that is definitely something that is being part of the, uh, of the effect in this. Uh, our bilateral trade and the, the number of crossings and trade uh, and the crossing of goods in the border has gone down, but that is not really related to the closing at the border. It's mostly related that basically our economies have are 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 right. are, are, are down basically. You know, so so it's not really a border issue in that sense. No, and I'm and I'm glad you brought that up because I do receive calls from uh, folks who are asking, hey, uh, you know, if I want to manufacture in Mexico or I want to purchase goods from Mexico or, or sell into Mexico, um, can my goods get across the border? I hear the border is closed. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, that it really, that kind of trade or that kind of uh, interaction at our border is still permitted. Um, so if we're doing business, then, you know, my products can go to Mexico or products I'm ordering from Mexico can come here. Um, and I can still invest in Mexico and, and, and make sure that that works. So I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you highlighted that. You know, you also um, mentioned during your presentation uh, that the U.S. and Mexico uh, were collaborating uh, on a COVID-19 response. Can you describe that in a little more detail to kind of give uh, um, our uh, participants just a better idea of, of what or how our governments are working together? Well, there's, there's uh, every every single day there are constant communication between offices, health officials, and uh, uh, between the United States and Mexico. Uh, uh, the CDC, of course, has an office in Mexico City. It has offices in many cities, most of the important cities in the world. Of course, the CDC has uh, has officers attached to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, and they've been there for a long time. Not this is not a this is not because of COVID-19. They've been there for many times, for a long time. And the CDC has a very strong connection and a very strong communication every day with health officials in Mexico. So, so the exchange of information about the patterns of the, of the, of the, of the pandemic and uh, how things are going in Mexico and how things are going in the United States, exchange of information with our experts, our scientists, happens every single day. That's, uh, so that's one very important thing to, to say, and, and I, I, I would probably add that, by the way, uh, the, our level of exchanging of information on sophisticated issues, not only health issues in this case, but all, many others, including, including uh, organized crime and uh, uh, things like environment and all that, are very deep. Our agencies in both countries in the world have connections that have been going on for decades, several decades. People know each other personally between our government and your government, and they exchange information every day. So that's the first thing, exchange of information. Second of all, of course, the United States has been one, a key partner of Mexico in support of being able to have access and buy uh, 
uh, access to things like ventilators and uh, and to and to get some access to to a lot of uh, uh, you know treatments and medicines and uh, um, several Mexican doctors and immunologists not only work in Mexico are in contact with uh, people here in the CDC in the United States but also they work here. Uh, one of the main expert experts in, in here in the southern United States uh, in terms of immunology is Dr. Carlos del Rio, who works at Emory University and is very closely connected to what's going on in, at the CDC. And he is a Mexican doctor, and he's been there. He's been a key connection between our governments in these conversations. So, so we understand very well that uh, uh, you know uh, there, there there can be a little bit of a of a of, of a tendency under these conditions to close, you know, to close your borders and don't to look around uh, uh, in order to respond to the to the pandemic. Uh, that's not what we have been doing. We are operating together. We are talking to each other together. We are administering together our border region and we are working together and consulting each other on how do we work together, for example, on things like flights uh, uh, between our two countries and, of course, uh, to make sure that strategic and key parts of our trade, things that, are, that need to happen to, to keep our supply chains going and to keep our, our you know, health systems going, still happen. Now, you also mentioned that the relationship to the U.S. and Mexico was, I think the words you used were deep and sophisticated and strong, and that's our relationship today. Um, how do you think the U.S.-Mexico relationship uh, might change over the next, uh, say, decade, and what factors do you think may, may drive that change? Um, well, you know, the, uh, there's always change, and change will always, you know, it's always, in the, it's always on the cards. Uh, to put it into perspective, I, I think not a lot, of, and sometimes a lot of people in Mexico, and I suspect here in the United States as well, uh, because most young people would probably not appreciate, understand how much we have evolved in our relationship in the past uh, uh, few years. Uh, I am old enough to remember uh, that Mexico before, you know, before the 90s, before Mexico uh, started opening up uh, its economy to the world. Mexico was one of the most closed economies in the world. We have a very protectionist uh, economy. We saw uh, foreign goods as a threat, uh, and we basically, basically very much saw that we needed to make sure that, uh, that foreign products would not compete with uh, domestic producers. Uh, that changed. In the mid-'80s, Mexico started thinking that we needed to connect as a country, as an economy, from a what we call import substitution economy uh, uh, to you know to, to block imports into our economy that was not making us very uh, uh, very successful uh, to start opening up and try to be a different kind of country and uh, Mexico started that in the mid 80s when we joined what was called then the GATT which is the the president of the uh, uh, for the of the World uh, Trade Organization the WTO. And uh, we started opening our economy. And of course, our very, very first trade agreement, free trade agreement, happened with the United States. And when we made NAFTA with the United States, as probably you know, the United States had already had already had done uh, its free trade agreement with Canada. So we joined as a third part into that agreement. And uh, that was the first time ever that a developing economy had a free trade agreement with developed economies. 
never before had that happened. And Mexico changed dramatically after that. Uh, Mexico not only became one of the most open economies in the world, we have free trade with over 40 countries right now. Mexico has free trade with Japan, has free trade with the European Union. We have free trade, of course, with the United States and Canada, but uh, we have free trade with a lot of the main economies in the world. Uh, uh, we are part of the TPP. We are part of the Alliance of the Pacific. Uh, if we don't have free trade with the countries that you can think of, we want it. I'm sure we want it. Uh, uh, so Mexico is one of the most open and you know uh, economies in terms of free trade in the world. Uh, second of all, Mexico became changed a lot internally because we used to be uh, very nationalistic and uh, and a very well, still nationalistic, of course, but but Mexico has transformed itself. Uh, when uh, uh, when NAFTA came into being, I remember people telling me. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to lose our identity. We're going to stop eating tacos and everybody's going to start eating uh, hamburgers at McDonald's and tacos will be forgotten. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, uh, and, 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 and I say that a little bit as a joke, but not so much. Uh, and that's how we are being, yeah, we're still, you know, very proud of our traditions, et cetera. But we, Mexico is a very modern an urban uh, uh, country in which people have influences from all over the world and we still eat our food, our traditions, our culture, but we are influenced by everybody in the world. And then the second point, of course, the Mexican, the Mexican democracy, the Mexican political system has been transformed. Uh, uh, in the 80s, Mexico politically was a very different country from what Mexico is now. Mexico is now, as I'm sure all of you know, a very contentious, open democracy. We have had in the past uh, 15 years three different parties in power in Mexico uh, through very through totally pacific and democratic elections, and that is not something that you would see before before all of this. So we have been very transformed, and this has a lot to do with our relationship with the United States because it evolves, uh, and our relationship with the United States has evolved too. Uh, um, there is a famous, very famous analyst in terms of U.S. That, Mexico relation called Alan Riding. And he wrote something in the, I, think, I believe it's in the 80s, uh, uh, a book that was very, very, you know, um, uh, important at that time, talking about our country. And, and the, basically the name of the book was Distant Neighbors. And we were countries that were, you know, neighbors, but uh, we didn't talk to each other. We didn't work together. We just got together as little as possible. And that was basically, you know, the sort of relation that we had. Now, uh, you know, uh, uh, 40 years later, I, don't, I think we are not, like I just said before, we are, couldn't be farther away from being distant neighbors. I already talked about how much we share in terms of economy, how much we share in terms of people. And that will take us, uh, uh, and, and a lot of that is something that is structurally there. It's not something that will change depending who is president in either country. It, it will not change depending who's governor in either state or certain state in Mexico or the United States, because our roots, our connections are much deeper than, uh, uh, you know, uh, specific politic, political uh, uh, transitions. So we have elections in Mexico, presidents change in Mexico, and that has not changed. And that we have we have had, of course, we know there will, there will be elections in the United States and there's one coming up in November. And we know uh, that this is not something that is going to be, uh, the, the depth of our relationship will not change depending on what happens in November. So if you tell me what I expect to happen in the future, I expect that, I expect that a lot of these uh, relations uh, uh, factors are in place in our economic, social, economic, and 
and, uh, and bilateral collaboration uh, are only there to be enhanced. Uh, um, the number of uh, uh, people working together in Mexico and United States, the number of people who share families and ethnical and family connections in our governments, in our countries, uh, are already there to be bigger. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I, I tend to, to be optimistic. Of course, this uh, pandemic sort of sets a parenthesis in all of that. Uh, but uh, I think we are definitely, thanks to all of those connections, in a great position uh, to, you know, to move forward once the pandemic uh, hopefully subsides. Well, you know, sticking on this theme of, of kind of the future, um, you know, we've got the escalating trade war uh, between the U.S. and China. Um, we've also got stress on global supply chains that have been brought about by um, the pandemic, a lot of the demand shock that I think a lot of people are experiencing. How do, how do you see Mexico, you know, and then also you mentioned that Mexico has free trade agreements, I believe you said with 40 countries, so I always see it as this hub of global trade. How do you see Mexico maybe taking advantage of both that trade war and then also this, this maybe uh, repositioning of supply chains? Uh, I think Mexico has been in a very strategic, advantageous position for a long time, thanks to all this positioning that we've made in terms of our trade, economic, and manufacturing uh, evolution. Uh, uh, one thing I, I, I think I need to underline also, uh, although I'm, I'm sure in this, in this panel, a lot of people who are watching are people who are in the know of, of these sort of things, but uh, uh, the Mexican economy is not an economy based on on commodities, and of course, uh, for a long time we were basically a oil-based uh, economy, and we are not anymore. Mexican economy, so oil is still important in Mexico, yes, but most of the economy in our country is basically based again on manufacturing, and that means that we are set up as a manufacturing connection that has, of course, access to to the biggest uh, market in the world in North America, with the U.S. and Canada, but we're also strategically positioned to have access from Mexico, manufacturing there, with access to many of the other world markets in the world, uh, like again, you know, uh, Europe and uh, South America and Asia and other parts. Uh, so that is a very important advantage, a very important thing. Uh, of course, like again, like I said, related to the USMCA, what's going on with the United States and China is something that of course we follow closely. Uh, let's make no mistake, Mexico is a close partner of the United States economically. And of course, uh, in many ways, uh, we are of course we are always uh, uh, the effects of what happens between United States and China, uh, uh, you know, uh, take place also in Mexico. One of the things had to do, of course, with uncertainty, like I said before, uh, the continued uncertainty that's going on between Chinese and North American trade, especially U.S. trade, have uh, have uh, impacted a lot in terms of companies that have uh, have started looking elsewhere. In terms of reestablishing the supplies, the supply chains, and doing uh, workarounds to, to avoid uh, getting caught by tariffs, uh, Mexico has a very strategic location, of course, and very competitive logistic costs compared to China. For example, shipping shipping costs from China to the United States are around 140 U.S. dollars per square meter. In the case of Mexico, it's nine dollars per, per square meter. And uh, uh, Mexico, like I always said, in 2019 already became the U.S. top trading partner, and uh, and we are we are seeing a lot of signs uh, that a lot of the manufacturing production and a lot of the companies that are involved in supply chains 
I'm starting to look around and then starting to look at Mexico as a place where a lot of their uh, manufacturing that is being placed currently in China provides a lot more certainty if it's placed in Mexico. So, I mean, of course, we understand that in order for that to happen, Mexico needs to provide a lot, a lot of a lot of certainty in terms of our economy. Mexico needs to provide in terms of uh, our, our strong infrastructure for that uh, trade to be efficient uh, and to make us more efficient. And of course, you know, manufacturing in Mexico not only again uh, provides a, a a platform to have access of those products to the, to the supply chains in the United States, but also provides access, like again, to other manufacturing regions in the world. But mostly, of course, we are all about North America. Sure. Now, I uh, just want to remind everybody, if you have a question, please go to your screen, uh, click on the, the, the circle with the three dots and the Q&A, and then type your question in so we can answer it. Because I want to make sure that we, uh, if you have a specific question, that we can get that uh, answered for you uh, to help you in your business. Uh, Consul General, you know, you, you know, with respect to, say, uh, let's say I'm a manufacturer, that I manufacture in, in China, and, I, and I'd like to move I'm moving maybe more to a regional kind of supply chain instead of this extended one single supply chain. And I'm interested in maybe moving some of my uh, manufacturing to Mexico. Do you have any resources within the consulate or is there some other organization within the government that maybe these companies can reach out to to learn more about the opportunities and maybe how they can, they can make that move or that transition? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, anybody who's watching this and uh, if you're if you're someone, a manufacturer, producer, or a business person who's interested in exploring uh, some of the advantages or, or you know, the conditions in certain parts of Mexico that might be attractive for you, uh, please contact us. Contact us here at the consulate. We are we are charged with the with the responsibility and with the job of making the connection work for you so we can connect you, any company, anybody with the local governments in Mexico, with the chambers of commerce in Mexico. We have uh, received, for example, recently very interesting uh, connections and people who have approached us related to the IT industry, for example, and we have made those connections for, for people in IT industry that are finding opportunities in Mexico. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we are here at the consulate, have an office, and uh, please uh, contact us and we will be happy to support that. Yeah, I'd like to uh, change topics a little bit. It's something that we don't hear uh, really at all in the United States. I mean, we've heard a lot um, by both parties about the impact of, say, NAFTA and USMCA on immigration uh, to the United States. I'm curious, um, and this is, you know, just something that I, I've always wondered about is, and we don't talk a lot about it, but is the impact on Mexican immigration on Mexico's economy. I think you've said that one out of every 10 uh, Mexican, uh, uh, Mexicans live in the United States. So I'm curious, how has that immigration uh, impacted Mexico's uh, economy and its growth over the years? Of course, it's part of course, it's a social uh, issue. It's, uh, it, in many ways, it's a political issue. Uh, but of course, mostly from our perspective, it's, a, it's an economic issue. People move. Most, I mean, the largest majority of the people who have come to the United States uh, in the past few uh, decades have been because of economic factors. And uh, so immigration is driven by economy, in the, uh, at least in the case of the Mexican migration to the United States, mostly. And, uh, and that has to do, and that is very connected, of course, with what, how is the Mexican economy going and doing? Mm -hmm. 
so when NAFTA came into, into being, and Kyle said before, the Mexican economy transformed. And, we, and that, of course, the transformation and the opening up, opening up of an economy to world competition, uh, uh, sudden, like Mexico did, it started doing it in the 80s, uh, brings about a lot of pay, uh, growing pains. And a lot of those growing pains happened in several industries in Mexico that some of them even virtually disappeared because of foreign competition. And some of them very strongly, very much to, you know, to adapt to the new competitive global environment. Some of, one of them has to do with Mexican agriculture, how to keep you know, a very you know, uh, basic and, uh, and, and labor, human labor-based uh, agricultural, agricultural base uh, to be competitive in world markets in the world. Uh, uh, so at the beginning and after, a lot of the, a lot of the migration that started happening to the United States, the last big migration flow of, the United, of Mexico towards the United States happened in the 90s. It had to do with a little bit of this factor of the open economy. It had to do with the Mexican financial crisis, the famous tequila crisis that I'm sure you remember. So those factors were there, and they drove people to come to the United States. However, I mean, in the past few years, my Mexican migration to the United States has steadily gone down. Uh, up until before the pandemic, Mexican migration levels were at the lowest in several decades. Uh, um, the number of Mexicans in the United States compared to 2005, in the, in the last 12 uh, years, had gone down for more, for more than 2 million people. Uh, uh, so, so and, and one of those factors in terms of why, why was Mexican migration slowing down so much towards the United States had to do with the fact that Mexico did not have a recession in over 20 years. The last recession we had, again, was in the mid-90s. Uh, uh, since then, no recession. Slow growth, but no recession at all. And that is something that slowly transformed the Mexican economy, and people had less and less incentives to leave their family, to leave their, to leave their country, to leave their culture, to leave everything they hold dear in order to try to find jobs in other countries, in the United States. Uh, uh, so that, those numbers had really gone down. Pandemic has uh, has changed a little bit that, but we can talk about that. Later. So you were asking in terms of the the other factor, of course, has to do with remittances. Uh, there's the estimation is that there's about uh, 11 and a half million people who were born in Mexico, first made first generation migrants who live in the United States. That number has gone down for by more than one million, by the way, in the past few years. Uh, but 11 and a half million send remittances. Mexico is one of the countries that receives the most remittances in the world. Uh, last year, we received around $36 billion in terms of remittances, the country. These people sent money home, and they sent $36 billion of, uh, to, to Mexico. Uh, uh, a few misconceptions on that. First of all, uh, 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 most of those people who send money to Mexico uh, they send their, they don't send everything they earn back to Mexico. I don't spend here. They, most of those workers who are here in the United States, they live here, they buy goods here, and by the way, they pay taxes here, and they still send money back home. So that's one thing that's very important to say. The other very important thing to say is that of course remittances are a significant part of the livelihood of the families of a lot of these migrants, uh, but 36. $36 billion sounds like a, it's a lot of money, of course. It's a, big, it's a big amount. But if you consider that the Mexican economy is a, it's a three, 
it's a three trillion dollar, sorry, a one trillion dollar economy. One trillion dollars is the size of the Mexican economy. Then there's sometimes a little bit of a tendency, I hear that in Mexico too, by the way, of overstate the importance of remittances. Uh, there are about, they're, they're less than 2% of the, of the economy of Mexico. Uh, they are very important, however, you know, because, of course, uh, millions of families in Mexico rely on that money. But to say that remittances are what keep the Mexican economy going, I think would be a little misleading. Well, no, and that's something that I, I, I've noticed uh, in the, some of the numbers that I've seen, that uh, immigration from Mexico is basically a net negative number uh, pre-pandemic. Um, and I attribute a lot of that to the fact that NAFTA and now USMCA is allowing uh, investment in communities so that it's like me. I, if I have a job here in my community in Nashville, I'm less likely to say want to go all the way across to California to, uh, you know, to get a job or go some other place because I want to be around my family. So I, I think that has been a, a positive of those trade agreements that I think gets overlooked. Um, we have one question. Um, and and it's, uh, I, I think we may have touched on it a little bit. So uh, a small business owner has asked if um, uh, that um, they're looking to source products manufactured in Mexico. Does the consulate have a like a resource maybe that this uh, company can look at uh, to identify quality producers that are currently in, in pandemic time uh, maybe operating and that haven't been disrupted? Is that something they can reach out to you uh, to, the, to the consulate? Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, anybody, and uh, we we will be very happy to to look into this specific request and uh, any request regarding possible suppliers, or possible opportunities. Uh, no matter how specific is the request, you know, in terms of a place or the industry or the product that you're looking for, uh, it's not that we have a lot of information here at the consulate, and if we don't have it here, we have the connections in Mexico with the people who will be able to support and to help. So right. yeah, please. Well, we've only uh, got we've got a. We've got a couple minutes left, so I just want to ask one quick question, so maybe you can, and then I want to ask you also maybe to provide any concluding remarks. You know, what would you like us to take away uh, from this uh, presentation? But one question I have, you know, we have a strong relationship, uh, I think the Southeast U.S. and Mexico. What should you, uh, businesses say located here in Tennessee, what opportunities do you see maybe for them in Mexico? What should they be thinking about and how they can take advantage of that strong relationship? Uh, well, I think there's something that I would love for people to take away is that to understand that, uh, uh, and that's something that we don't hear a lot sometimes in, in media, is that, uh, I mean, the day-to-day -day connection and the important connection that exists between our, our nations, our people, our economies, our business people are there. And, uh, and of course, uh, like I said before, um, in, order to, in order to, you know, get our economy going again once the, the pandemic uh, subsides, uh, we are in a very good position because we have certainty and we have uh, the tools together to work with. Uh, um, the, the supply chains are there. Uh, Tennessee particularly is very strong uh, uh, in terms of its connection with in, in things like electronics, of course, automotive. And automotive is one of those essential, uh, essential uh, uh, activities that have been deemed essential in the United States and in Mexico in order to make sure that those supply chains are not disrupted. Uh, so, so think of Mexico as an opportunity. Uh, think of, of how you can take advantage. Look, at, look into USMCA. 
read the thing. It's a 21st trade agreement, 21st century trade agreement. I mean, it has a lot of provisions and things that we did not have in NAFTA before, things like economic, electronic trade. Uh, and of course, there are new provisions in terms of, for example, labor provisions related to the, the wages that need to be embedded to make sure that the cars that are and vehicles that are built in North America support jobs in North America. Uh, so look into that uh, agreement, uh, look, look into the reading to, into that, what are the new condi conditions in that agreement that we think are there for a reason. They're all there because we want to make sure that our platform in, in North America keeps being the most competitive platform in the world. Well, thank you, Consul, Gen Consul General. I have, I have one last question. Uh, it's a very serious question. What will it take for us here in Nashville, Tennessee, to get you to move your consulate from Atlanta to Nashville? Because we, mm -hmm. we want you to be a permanent resident here in uh, Tennessee. <laughs> see, the sun's shining. I'm looking out my window right now, and I see the sunshine. See, it'd be a great day. <laughs> I am not surprised. We love Nashville. Every time, every time I have, I've had the chance to, you know, I get to, to go to Nashville, uh, you won't be surprised. My family, you know, drives in the car. We all want to go to a little bit more seriously, I would say that I can tell you with certainty that high-level discussions at the at the, our, our embassies and uh, the, uh, with high-level officials of Mexico and the United States have taken place already in the past few years. Some of them I've been a part of, uh, in order to make sure that Nashville is at the top of our list in order to to open a new consulate. Uh, when that will happen? Well, it was. I thought it was, we all thought it was about to happen before the pandemic. Now, you know, the governments are struggling a lot in terms of restrictions to spending and, and, and to budgets, but uh, it's definitely there. It's definitely there. What I think will not happen, John, is for us to close the consulate in Atlanta and open it. Well, I know. <laughs> That's not something that I don't think, I think will happen. What right. I think will happen is that we will, of course, keep our consulate in Atlanta, but we will open an other, a new consulate in Nashville. Well, please let us know what we can do to make that a reality, because I know we would love to have the consulate here, um, and we really enjoy. We actually would like to get you here too, personally, uh, again after the pandemic. So we really. I've always enjoyed my conversations with you, um, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to join us. I know this is a very busy time for everyone. Um, so with that, um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you again, Consul General, for joining us today and, and providing your remarks. Uh, it was really informative, and I appreciate it. And with that, we are uh, adjourned. So thank you very much, Consul General, and we'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye. Gracias. Bye-bye.